0: Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way.
1: Man, that's true. Love changes everything. It even changes the theme of our series. We just finished a series last week. We're starting a brand new series today called Love Changes Everything. So, if it's your first Sunday, it's a perfect Sunday to start with us. Another reason why it's a perfect Sunday, you may have noticed some little chocolates either on your seat or the seat next to you. If you didn't notice the chocolates before you sat down, it's probably too late. <laughs> You'll be explaining all day long. No, really, it's just chocolates. <laughs> uh, if uh, this was actually a test, uh, we're talking about love today, and so we purposely didn't put them on every chair to find out who shares. <laughs> we'll see how that went. Well, this, yeah, uh, uh, the the chocolates that were on my seat magically disappeared. Yeah, probably someone else in your row, Jimmy, ate them. Probably, we'll see. Well, if uh, we had to do the, the whole cookie, the chocolate thing and later a little little insider treat, there's going to be more of Valentine's snacks. This is, of course, to, to treat everyone because it's Valentine's. It's also a subtle reminder to the men, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. But we had to have our part in this because apparently that's a thing in America now. You have to spend not just some money but a lot of money at Valentine's Day. Would you even guess how many... Billions of dollars we spend every year on Valentine's, how about $28 billion we will spend tomorrow on Valentine's uh, chocolate, candy, uh, flowers, uh, dinners out, gifts, jewelry, all the things we do. Hey, that's nothing compared to what we spend on our pets. Don't forget, you still have 24 hours tomorrow, Valentine's Day, for your little dog. We spend $2 billion a year on our pets for Valentine's Don't tell my dog, she has no idea tomorrow's Valentine's Day. I don't want her to know because we got to get into this, it could be super awkward. But I, I I know this is a thing. In fact, some of you might even know this about Valentine's Day, where it came from. I was reading up on it this week. It came from a, a, a priest who lived back in the, the days when the Roman centurions were still in charge. The Emperor of Rome had decreed that all soldiers had to remain single as long as they were in service of the emperor, as long as they were in the army, they couldn't get married. So this, this priest was kind of a bit of a romantic. So he would set up secret nighttime wedding ceremonies. He'd get the soldiers and their young brides and he would marry them off in the name of the church, in the name of the Bible, in the name of God, in the evening when when no one else would know. And that went pretty well, went pretty beautifully until the emperor found out and <laughs> off with his head. But that's that kind of has to happen. Otherwise you can't become a saint. So his his saint day is, uh, is February 14th, so we, we remember uh, St. Valentine for, for his romantic gesture that cost him his life, but it brought a lot of young couples together, so we still celebrate to this day. Wait a minute, am I, am I the priest in this story? Wait, hold on a second, I, I, don't, I don't like where this is going. But that, that, that's how the world celebrates Valentine's. That's how the world celebrates love, and it's, it's not all bad. Some of it's cute, some of it's romantic, but what does, a God, what does God's word say about love, and what does love look like? We're going to read a story today out of a, out of a letter from a guy in the Bible who you would not expect to write about love. In fact, when, when Jesus calls him to be one of his disciples, remember how Jesus did that? He called by name each one of those first disciples. He knew everything about them. He went after them. He asked them and brought them into his inner circle. He knew all this about this kid. He and his brother, they, they're kind of a package deal. They came in together. They were hotheads. They were hot-blooded. They were they were radical. They they they, they acted and, and thought later. In fact, they had kind of a nickname when they came into the fold. They were the sons of thought. Thunder, the Bible says. In fact, they they were radical. In fact, at one point, uh, some little village had kind of disrespected Jesus. And, and, you know, he said, well, let's just move on. And, And the guy says, no, let's go back. Jesus, I want you to call down fire on the village. Destroy them all. I mean, this is a this is kid who's writing this book about love. And then at the very end of Jesus' time, Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. Everyone's kind of imagining, okay, now this is a big ending, ending the big finish. Jesus is going to be crowned king, and we can follow him. And, and this young kid says, hey, Jesus, when you get there and you're in charge, make me on your right and my brother on your left. This is the kind of kid this was. And here we are. Who left their cell phone on stage? Folks online, I'm going to walk over there off camera to get the cell phone and turn it off because I'm afraid it's going to keep ringing. You're going to be really embarrassed when I call out the name of whose it is. It's not an iPhone, so I don't know how to turn it off. So, well, you kids, I I know it's not yours, but you guys know how to do stuff like that. If it's technically, you gotta find someone under 20, they'll figure it out. So so this kid was the last you'd expect to talk about love, but then we get to the very end of his life. He's writing these letters back to the church to encourage the church to to, to write. And he has a new title now, a new name. He's become the disciple of love. Of all the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John uses the word love more than any of them. In fact, he writes about love, he talks about love, he exudes love. He calls his his listeners, the, the other believers, his little children. No one could have become so loving unless, unless love changes everything. It did for John. I know it will for you and me. So go ahead and open up your Bible. We're going to read the passage out of 1 John chapter 3 verse 11. Out of this passage, we're going to find out exactly what God's talking about. Love as we define what love is, in the few minutes we have, clearly, we can't talk about everything love is, but a big chunk of it, but we're also first going to talk about what love is not. So let's read the passage, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, either you can, you can find it on the QR code, pull it up on the Bible app, or watch the screen behind me, or maybe, maybe you brought one of these things to church. <laughs> what a crazy idea. Okay, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should... Love one another. We'll get back to that. Do not be like Cain. Who is Cain? The brother of Abel. Excellent. The son of Adam and Eve. Right. Excellent. Good. Okay. Don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. But his brother Abel's actions were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Anyone who has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, do let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. All right, that's the passage we're going to dig into. And and just like I said, uh, John, of course the Holy Spirit through John, is is making a, a clean line here. Kind of a, a very clear dichotomy between love and hate, between life and death. I mean, he could not have made it any clearer. We have passed from, uh, from death into life. We no longer hate, now we love. He's trying to make it as clear and and as concise as possible. There is no in-between. If you were here last week, you remember we said the same thing. God loves to do this. He loves to clear out that gray area in the middle. It's either life or it's death. It's either love or it's hate. Here we're seeing the same exact thing. The problem is you and I, we love the gray. We love that wiggle room that we find in the middle, that that room in the middle where we can swim a little bit in the life and a little bit in the death, depending on the day, depending on our company, depending on how we're feeling, because feelings and emotions are so important to us. And God is saying, no, I'm going to make it as clear as possible. I'm going to draw a line right down the middle, and there you must understand there is life and there is death. There is love and there is hate, and the two do not mix hold that thought. Let's dig into what love is not first, and then we'll get to what love is. All right, look at, look at what love is not. Verse 12, one more time. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, but his brother's actions were righteous. So where, where did this evil, this, this hate even come from? Well, one possible answer right here out of the text is it came from Cain. Right? He was that, 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 that guy that, that did evil, that murdered, that hated at the very beginning. This is nothing new. We know this story. Uh, in fact, Cain is the only Bible character that John even takes time to mention in all of his books simply because this point is so important to him. At the, at the very beginning, God, and we don't have time, but if you were to go back into the book of Genesis, you would see how God explains to both these boys, to Cain and to Abel, what obedience looks like. He said, boy, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I expect from you. This is what I've poured into you, and this is what I expect back from you. Abel, of course, said, yes, uh, Father, I'll I'll do exactly that. He did exactly that. The Bible says his actions were righteous. Cain, on the other hand, said, now, hold on a second. I invested all this this time. I I invested all this uh, work. I I, I've poured myself into my work. What comes out of that work is not first yours, it's first mine. Now, I'm going to give you something because I guess at the end of the day, you gave me breath and life, but the first stays with me. I've decided that I deserve what I deserve. We have this in common with Cain. Each one of us is like him. If we don't get what we deserve, what we think we deserve, if we don't get what we think we have coming to us, we come out swinging. Swinging. And that is not the biblical picture of obedience. That is not the biblical picture of someone who acts righteously. That is the biblical picture of someone who acts in hate. But hold on a second. Maybe it didn't start with Cain. Look on also in verse 12. It says this. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one. Okay, now we got it. So maybe it wasn't Cain's fault after all. I mean, we put all this on Cain, maybe a little bit onto his father and mother. You know, that's that whole natural inbred, inborn sin that we all have, that sin nature that we have. Maybe it wasn't really his fault. And I believe that's true. It goes even deeper. We don't have a cane problem. We don't even have a human problem. We have an enemy, a devil problem. He is whispering, if not yelling into our ears, exactly what he wants us to do. And he is motivating us and he's pulling us back. This is by no means a free pass. Teenagers are famous for saying that. And some of us who think we're still teenagers are famous for saying this. The devil made me do it. I didn't, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to to do that. I didn't mean to leave that out of the conversation. And yet we said, well, you know, the the devil, we find a devil behind every tree stump a devil behind every colleague, a devil behind every New York driver on the roads, and we we are sure that they have caused us to sin in some way. This is not a free pass, but we must understand that there is a force, there is a power in this world that is constantly, relentlessly, without pause, fighting against the love of God. And he will never, ever, ever stop as long as you're breathing. He will always be pushing against you. So, what does that mean? When these thoughts, these Cain-like thoughts, pop into our head, when these Cain-like attitudes come into our head, into our our lifestyle, when these Cain-like actions Come and are suddenly a part of our life, alarms need to be going off in our head and our heart and our spirit. This is not right. This is not what I was created to do. I had this conversation with God, just like God had with Abel and with Cain, and I'm choosing Abel. My actions will be righteous. Cain chose poorly. And we all read the rest of his story. Don't be like Cain. Where, where are these evil thoughts and this hate? Where is it gonna lead? Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Here's the deal. Where does this hatred that we're talking about this hatred that we found in Cain and a, a, a bit in his parents and then obviously in that in that enemy that that, that that he belonged to the evil one the bible says, where does that lead? First of all, it leads at best at best kind of a kind of an indifference. Towards the needs and the and the hurts of others, at best, maybe even a, an avoidance, an avoidance of those that uh, that we no longer get along with, those that we've maybe bumped heads with, those that think differently than us sociologically, politically, even theologically. We've 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 written them off. We we avoid them at best. At worst, kind of like Cain here, we get into abuse, even murder. If you look at statistics for the murder rate in in America to this day, the vast majority of murders that occur every single year in our country happen between two people that know each other. The majority of of those murders are in inside family. Husband, wife, kids, parents, brothers and brothers. Some things never change. God is calling us to pull away from that, this hate. It divides us, but it also it exposes our inner thoughts because these, these thoughts of, 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 remember what Jesus said, not, not only don't murder, but don't even hate each other because if you hate each other, it is like you are murdering them. And to be honest, I mean, I know most of you, and you're, you're pretty okay, folks. I'm, I'm pretty okay. I'm not really super worried that you're going to go out and murder somebody as long as the, the snowbirds kind of head out. First of may. I'm pretty sure none of you guys are going to go out and murder anybody. But, but here's the problem: we may not murder them with our hands. We may not murder them with our fists. We might not run them over with our car. But, but with our mouth, we are crucifying them. With our mouth, we are ripping them apart. With our mouth, we are look actively looking for opportunities to get circles of people together to talk badly about person number B, person letter B, person uh, sister. C, brother D in our circle, we are looking for opportunities to stab them with steely knives of our tongue. That's what God is calling us to because hate exposes our inner thoughts. Why did Cain even kill Abel? I mean, think about it for a second. What, what was the purpose? killing him. I mean, he could have walked. There's a lot of things he could have done. Why did he do it? Was, Cain, was Abel such a bad person? Was, was Abel a, a criminal? Was Abel doing something wrong? None of those things are true. The Bible says Abel's actions were righteous, but Cain's actions were evil. Violence and anger was the result there's no question, violence and anger were the result that, that, that he actually grabbed him. In fact, the Bible says when it killed him, it's that word for, for slaughtering. It's, it, it means, excuse me, it's, it's kind of graphic, but he grabbed him by the head and he slit his throat. That's the word. What brings a brother to the point that he does something like that? Did he wake up that morning with that plan in place? Did he grow up his whole life waiting for the day when he could do something that horrible that here we are thousands of years later talking about? Is that, is that what happened? Or did that which was inside of him work itself out in these evil actions? And obviously that is the answer. God is calling us to understand that the root is in our heart. God says that this hatred that, that is acted out, lived out outside of us, it exposes what is going on inside of us. And, and really the trigger for Cain and quite possibly the trigger for some of us, I believe, is when he, in his unrighteousness, was confronted with righteousness. And I debated whether I wanted to say this part online, but I'm just going to say it. I wonder sometimes, not just this church, but churches in general, if people that walk away from church and, and gathering together and worship for all kinds of reasons, if a part of that might not be that they're sick and tired of covering up their unrighteousness. And every time they're confronted with righteousness from brothers and sisters, it wells something up inside of them that may work itself out in anger, in abuse, in violence, and murder. It happens. Thousands of years ago, and every day in America, God is calling us to understand that that which is inside us will work itself out. When we see people go off on each other, the the Karens in the parking lot, the the comp- co- uh, political conspiracists on Facebook, the, the 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 old guys sitting around the coffee shop just going off on whatever is not you know their cup of tea. This is this is that way of working itself out. But sometimes these folks don't just leave; they stay. You you may have heard the story about uh, I'll, I'll give her a new name. Her name is Sister Francine. She doesn't go to our church, but Sister. Franc- Francine, she was very busy at church. She had her fingers in everything, maybe a little too much. She had a lot to say about everything, maybe a little too much to say about everything. And because of her attitude and her forcefulness and how she served the Lord, she had uh, butted heads with a few of the other members, especially with Sister Margaret. The two of them couldn't, they were like oil and water. They, they were in the choir together, but one was way on one side, one was way on the other. They never even looked at each other. Well, one Sunday, Sister Francine was out visiting her aunt in uh, Wachula, Florida. She comes back the next Sunday. Yeah, you know where Wachula is. She comes back the next Sunday. <laughs> Sister Margaret comes running up to her, throws her arms around Sister Francine, gives her a big kiss, said, oh, Sister Francine, we missed you. I love you. I'm so glad you're back. And she walks away. Sister Francine was, for the first time in her whole life, speechless. She somehow found her way over to her special pew, it had a little plaque with her name on it. She sits down and she can't think about anything else. She can't think about the announcements, she can't think about the worship. Finally, the pastor gets into the pulp and he says, Welcome back, everybody. I'm so glad you're here for part two of Loving the Unlovable. How many of you did your homework and you went out and you hugged your worst enemy? (laughs) Sometimes these people stay in church, don't they? Good thing she's stuck in Wachula. (laughs) True love is different. True love is different than old Miss Francine and Miss Margaret. True love is lasting. True love is not just faked with a hug or faked with a one-time kiss because a pastor guilted you into it. True love, in fact, look at verse 11. It says this, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should... Love. This is a very uh, interesting word. Of course, love is that, word, that famous Greek word agape. You've heard it many times, that unconditional love, the love of God, the love of a mother for her child, you know, no strings attached, I just love you because you exist kind of love. But there's an ending on it that makes it mean something more than just that, as if, as if that's not enough. And what it means is a discriminating affection, a choosing to love, a choosing of another ahead of yourself. So imagine that kind of unconditional, no strings attached, I love you just because you exist, and you focus down and you look at one person and say, and it's you that I love that for. This is what God is saying for us as brothers and sisters, not a general kind of, you know, we love each other, we're nice to each other because the pastor made us but because we focus it. So if that's what love is, let's, let's focus in the last few minutes about what love is. Look at verse 16. Love, what is love? Well, Christ is our model of that love. Verse 16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Well, that's, that's it. That's what we're looking for. The whole, the whole time we've been together, what is love? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, exclamation point. He laid down his life for us. So if we want to know what love is, the answer is Jesus. In fact, the Bible even says this is how we know, and that word know is that, 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 that experiential knowing, that knowing from experience. What is God's word saying? Thing? If you know by experience Jesus, then you will know by experience love. If you want to know love by experience and experience love, then you must first know by experience Jesus. It's that simple. You can't get around Jesus to get to real love. Now, what's the problem? We understand that we need some kind of role model in our lives. We've been doing it since we were kids whether it's a sports role model, a, a music uh, act role model, a, an actor, a, a favorite teacher, whatever. Nothing against any of those folks. I'm sure they're fine folks, the Hollywood folks. They tend to crash and burn before they're 30, but whatever. The, the, the role models we choose are fine for a time, but they don't last. We suddenly, we suddenly tend to, to pick up on their, their, their social cues, their, the words that they use, the attitudes they have. their willingness to throw in the towel when things get tough, their willingness to give up when things don't go their way, their unwillingness to stick it out even when it's hard. Here's the difference. If Jesus is your role model, if we look to Jesus and we know him experientially, we have an experience with Jesus, we have someone who will never let us down, whose whose, uh, example will never fail, whose testimony will never be off. God is our example if we know Christ we will know love. Secondly, look at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Secondly, we need to understand that love unites the family. Love unites the family of God. What does it mean to lay down your life? Now, we just read that in the Bible. We, as soon as we said that, that Jesus laid down his life, pictures sort of floating into our brain of, of that Good Friday. Well, we call it Good Friday for, for Jesus, a pretty tough Friday. For that tough Friday afternoon when he was literally nailed to a cross and he hung there until his last breath went out of him. That was not a pleasant experience. That was, it means that's what it meant for him to lay down his life for us. But what does it mean for you and me to lay down our life for others? If this is what love is, laying down our life, what does it look like? It's not a one-time act as much as it is a hundred or a thousand or a million small acts every single day. A constant, a lifestyle of laying our lives down. The Bible says, if anyone has material need and sees, this is an excellent word. <laughs> Pick up on this. This this isn't a passing glance. This isn't a uh, a quick judgment. You know, like the, you know, the kind you make when you're driving and and you pull over, and you're at a stoplight, and, and one of those folks there with a sign, they need help, they need money, and they have a story, and they come by, and you take a passing glance, but you avert your eyes as quickly as possible because if you get eye contact, and you have to give them something, you know what I'm saying? This is not that word. This word actually means to, to um, analyze, to perceive, to study, Not a passing glance, not a quick judgment, but to look into someone's eyes as if you're looking into their soul. So what is God saying? We are to know and to see each other. Folks, this is the biggest win of the entire story of love, to see and to know our brothers and sisters. You are to see and to know their hurts and their joys and their pains. You're to see and to know when they're here and when they're absent, when when they're homesick and when they need help. You are to see when things are not the way they're supposed to be, and then you are supposed to act. Because the second part of that says, and you have no pity. The word have no means to to shut the door on, or literally to, to lock the door and to throw away the key. So that means you see them, you understand the need, whatever it is. It could be financial. It could be someone just to give them a hug. It could be someone just to go by and bring them a meal. It could be someone to go by and just sit with them as they grieve the loss of a love. Whatever that need is, you've seen that. You've understood that. You know, and the Bible says, pity or compassion wells up inside you. Remember, we've had that word before too. It's, it's the same exact Greek word for innards. Innards, yeah, we don't say that word very much, right? Our guts. It's saying, I feel in my guts, in my innards, the pain that you're feeling. So you've seen the need, that compassion, that pain in your innards is, is compelling you to do something, but the Bible says you shut the door. You don't only shut the door, you lock it. You don't only shut the door and lock it. You shut the door, you lock it, and you throw away the key. I am never helping that person. I am never laying down 30 whole minutes to that person, three whole hours to that person, three weeks of my life to that person. I'm shutting the door on that, and I'm moving forward because I am taking care of me first. That is not love. God's love is very different. Here's the, here's, uh, finally, here's the litmus test of what love is. Look one more time at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. But anyone who does not love still remains in death. Now this is important. Remember at the very beginning we talked about how the Holy Spirit through John was making a very clear, a very clear distinction between love and hate. Life and death. You remember that? Here we are at the very end and John's doing the very same thing. He's saying you are either in or you were out. You were either living a life of love and a life full of life, or you're living a life full of hate and a life full of death. There is no in-between. Have you made that choice? Here's what God is calling us. He is calling us to live differently. Yes, Jesus accepts us and, and brings us into his family no matter how we come to him. But here's the deal. Jesus loves us too much to leave us the way he found us. There is a growing. There is a maturing. There is a building up. There is a a, a taking on of things. There is a discipleship that happens. But if we continue to live for ourselves, if we continue to be unwilling to be inconvenienced for others, if we continue to be unwilling to feel another's pain, then there is a problem that we need to take a very serious look. Scientists would talk about a a litmus test, and maybe you remember that from school. Maybe some of your scientists you still do litmus tests. If you have a swimming pool in Florida, I know you do litmus tests. What do you test with a litmus test? The pH, the acidity, or, or or basicness of water or fluid. Is it acidic or is it basic? Here's the deal about a litmus test. There's no in between. Whatever fluid, whatever pool water, whatever, whatever element you're testing there, it's going to come up at the end of this litmus test, either acidic or basic. There is no in-between. Love is that litmus test for our life in Christ. If it is not there, then guess what? You have some serious prayer and consideration to do. Every time I think about this kind of love, this kind of love that changes everything, I think about a friend of mine named Simon. is this crazy story that happened very early in our ministry. We are brand new, right out of seminary, had, had just arrived on this island called Tobago in the Caribbean. Well, someone had to go. So we're we're on Tobago serving the Lord, planting churches. And and this young kid, Simon, he wanted to be a pastor. And so we were mentoring Simon, training him, giving him opportunities. And then I heard his story. Here's Simon's story. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but it's just perfect for what we're talking about today. Simon grew up on another island called Trinidad. His dad was a farmer. He didn't farm normal stuff like wheat and corn. He farmed marijuana and cocaine. And they lived up on a mountain, so in the the morning, the dad would take the the freshly produced drugs, pack it into little Simon's backpack, and pat him on the butt and says, get on down to school. Simon would, would kind of curve his way down the mountain, and before he gets to school, the drug dealer would come over, open up the backpack, pull out the drugs, close it up, pat little Simon on the butt, say, all right, get on to school. After school, Simon would come back by the drug dealer, would put the money in the backpack, zip it up, and say, okay, get on home to your daddy. By the time he was a teenager, he had begun selling the drugs himself, taking the drugs. He, he, by the time he was 15, he was so stoned out of his head one night, he couldn't even find the trail that led back home. Suddenly, he hears music, and he looks over, there's a, a big old tent, like a circus tent. He's thought, all right, I'm just going to sit down for a while and sober up, and I'll find my way home later. He sits down, it's a revival, and for the first time in his whole life, he hears as a preacher screaming into the microphone, God. Loves you. And he starts crying. Everything, all the junk, everything that was in his life just pours out of his eyes. That night, Simon gets saved. I met him two years later. Now he's on our island, wanting to be a preacher. So on Tuesday nights in his little village, we'd set up with uh, at a pickup truck. We'd set up a couple of speakers on top and a microphone like Pastor Philip uses, and we'd sing a few songs. And people would come out of their houses all up on the mountainside and just to kind of listen in to the to the worship and then to the preach. And this Tuesday it was Simon's turn to preach. So he gets up in that little microphone. And he's just going. He's just telling the folks everything about Jesus, everything you could think of about God. And like it happens here in Florida, it happens in the Caribbean. This big old rain cloud comes over and just dumps rain right on us. Well, the rest of us, we go running under a tree. And I turned around and I saw something I will never forget. There's Simon screaming at the top of his lungs, drenched, soaking wet in the rain, screaming, God loves You, God loves you. You know, because God loves Simon so much, he gave his only son to die for Simon. And now Simon, because he loves God so much, he's giving everything in him so that others would know this love. Love changes everything. Have you let God's love change everything in your heart yet? Have you allowed God to take that death and that hate that is there from the very beginning of time out of your life and fill it with God's love? We're about to to celebrate uh, communion. At our church, we celebrate what we call open communion. That means if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are most welcome to participate with us. But what we always say is this. We do this once a month, and we say this is like a, a reset, Sometimes during the month and the days since we've we veered off to the right or the left, or maybe you discovered in our study of God's word that you've still remained on the hate and death side because there is no middle ground, and you are ready to move over to God's side of love and life. Speak to God about that in these moments. We purposely go a little slower than we need to. We purposely leave you a little time to think and to pray. There's no rush. In fact, in just a minute, we'll invite you either to these tables or there's one in the back, whichever is most convenient. When you're ready, just kind of make your way forward. Grab a little piece of bread, a little cup of juice, head on back to your place. We'll, we'll celebrate the communion together, but we're purposely doing it in this style so you have time to think and to pray and, and to tell God things that you know you need to tell him and to allow God to do things in your heart that you, knew, you know he wants to do. Let me pray for us. After that, the music's going to begin. The deacons are going to come, kind of get ready, and you just kind of make your way to whichever table is closest for you. In the meantime, please be praying. Father God, we, we do pray as we read words and read stories and understand teaching about love and how it can change everything. Father, we are, some of us, still stuck in death and stuck in hate. So God, even though with our head we know that love can change everything, we have not seen it yet in our lives. So, we are asking you, Lord, to move powerfully in these moments, drawing each one of us to the love and life side. There is no middle ground. There is no swimming in the middle. There is no wiggle room. We are choosing today to love you and to have that life eternal. Speak to us, Lord as we commemorate all that you taught, all that you lived, and not only your death, but Lord, even your resurrection, all for, to give us the opportunity to have this life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at NewHopeCapeCoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.